Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she had said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, Talitha Kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So here we are in Mark's gospel. Three themes, a king, his kingdom, and discipleship. A continual call to follow Christ and to listen to him. 
to believe and to have faith. And our big idea for today, there's going to be variations of it, but goes something like this. Approach Jesus in your fear and need. Jesus is faithful to those with imperfect faith. Jesus is faithful to those with imperfect faith. Today we're going to see two requests, or we already have seen two requests being made of Jesus by two people living in fear and who are in desperate need. There is no tomorrow for both of these people in so many ways. First, we meet a father who's losing his daughter. Then a woman who is slowly losing her, her health and has lost all standing in society. High standing and just normal, everyday, able to go to the market, able to go worship kind of standing as well. But before we go there, again, I want to encourage you to read Mark's gospel. I know that sounds stupid. Pastor, look, I'm already reading it. We're sitting here reading it right now, and that's true. But here's a couple of reasons why you need to be reading Mark's gospel, even when we're not together. The first one, obvious. If you know that you have been saved by Jesus, then you should seek to know him more, okay? That's the simple one. The next one is, if you want to know who God is and you want to seek to understand him, you should want to seek to understand him through his word. Okay, And then one more, and this is an important reason for us today, because Mark is pulling us into his gospel. So often when I'm preaching or when you hear someone preaching or you're reading the scripture for yourself, we so badly want to find ourselves in the text. And let's be honest, we're all a little bit selfish, okay? We're all a little bit selfish, and we get a little disappointed when we realize, oh, you mean this whole thing was about Jesus and not about me? <laughs> okay? But here's what Mark's doing, and I find it so interesting, because up to this point, and it's hard because of the way that we go through the passage right now, it seems like it's just been story, and then Mark says, immediately, 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 another story, another story, another story. But I think what we should be beginning to see if we're reading this gospel as a whole is that it's not just one story after another, but it's Mark slowly pulling us in to see ourselves in this story. And what I mean by that is this. I, you've probably seen a really bad movie, okay? I don't, I'm not expecting all of us to have great taste in movies or books in here, okay? You can like really bad books, that's fine. You can like really bad movies. I'll silently judge you, but I promise not to say anything, okay? And yet, we all know when we see just a bomb of a movie, right? Because the characters, even if it was a love story, right? The characters, you don't grow to love them, right? I mean, this is one of, the, one of the things that we want. We want to grow to love the characters, and then the characters come together, and then we all celebrate, and that's the end of the movie. But what happens in a lot of bad movies, for instance, is that you grow to actually dislike the characters. They say things that are out of the ordinary and strange and quirky, and all of a sudden you realize that's not a real human being. That's just like a picture of a human being on a screen. I remember Tara and I were reading this detective novel once, and um, 
much to my everlasting shame, it was a Christian detective novel, okay? <laughs> and, and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. There, at, there ended up being no, no like mystery. There ended up being no crime, because I guess that's not Christian enough. And then, and then at the end of the day, you had two people that said, like, just they didn't use words that humans use throughout the whole. You know, they were trying to sound cool the whole time. And it was just a total disappointment of a story. You know, I couldn't picture myself as the detective. I couldn't um, picture Tara as the fake femme fatale in this story, okay? These people were fake, But as we're reading Mark's gospel here, what he's slowly doing is he's pulling us in, right? When the disciples are on the boat and Jesus says, where is your faith? Why are you acting like unbelievers? Mark's saying to us, Peter, Jesus is saying to us, why are you acting like an unbeliever? We know how the disciples feel. And for each of us in this room, we might have a different circumstance. Where maybe for some of you in this room, maybe not to the extent to what this woman's going through, or maybe worse than, the, than what this woman is going through, you understand her pain. Or for parents that have lost children in the womb or out of it, we understand this father's pain right now. So when we're coming to Mark's gospel, we are actually being invited to put ourselves in the shoes of these characters, to place ourselves there, and to understand how they feel. And this also means then for us that as we started this gospel anyway, I I heard what the Pharisees were saying. I heard what the scribes were saying, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, Jesus is claiming some pretty bold things. Can he back it up? But as we see this gospel go on, we're going to see today some professional mourners, people that are invited into a home to cry for the death of a loved one, that are going to turn into professional mockers, because now they are hired to support the family and whatever's going on, which includes mocking this Jesus character. And at the beginning, when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus, I invited you to put yourself into their shoes. In fact, I called myself a Pharisee, and I called you a Pharisee. But I would hope, and I think, and this is what Mark is doing. He's pulling us along in this story so that when we hear professional mockers, professional mourners now, we think, whoa, why are you acting like an unbeliever? The tables have suddenly turned. We're being led. We are following Jesus deeper into the story right now. We're following Mark deeper into the story. And I want to invite you to keep doing that. To be able to say, ah, this person, they're just like me. Like we've said before, um, and the reason why I, I make that claim that this is something that we're being invited into that Many scholars, as we've discussed before, say that Mark's gospel is actually the words of Peter written down. And this is probably a sermon series by Peter, where he's doing just that. He's standing up in front of someone, inviting them to follow Christ and to have faith. In verses 21 to 24, we see that Jesus hears of a need, and he is responding. 
and we start back on the boat, the same boat that Steve left us on, the same boat that we traveled across the Sea of Galilee on, the same boat that we had to climb back onto when Jesus killed about 2,000 pigs and then, and then had to, was asked, he was invited to leave, okay? He was asked to leave, and we're still on that boat now, arriving back on the Galilean side, and he's just traveled across the sea again with his disciples. That same boat that nearly got eaten by the waves. And when they hopped out of the boat, remember last week when they hopped out of the boat, there was a crazed person filled with evil spirits there to meet them. But this week, Jesus arrives with fanfare. Everyone waiting for him, waiting to see what miraculous thing he is going to do next. And there is also this, this man, he's called a ruler of the synagogue, um, that comes and meets him. He's not met by a demon-possessed person, but he's met by a man who's possessed with fear because his little daughter, which is very loving language, it probably means that this was the baby of the family or the only child that they were able to have. His little daughter is in trouble and that she is nearly dead. And he approaches Jesus and he knows exactly what Jesus has to do because he's heard all about it. All he has to do is to lay a hand on his daughter and she will be healed. Now this is interesting because this guy is called a ruler of the synagogue. Now, this usually, it, it, this isn't something that we see in Scripture necessarily, a role that is given out to people. This is probably something like a trustee, someone that is helping to take care of the building, helping to take care of finances, making sure that everything's running. They probably would have had some teaching responsibilities, but all of that to say, they are working under scribes and under Pharisees, those same scribe and Pharisees that are teaming up with the local government to try to find a way to kill Jesus, as we learned about in chapter 3. He's going outside of the people that support him, that he works for, to reach out to Jesus because he knows of Jesus' power and authority. The interesting part about him reaching out, I think, is that this is showing that he has faith in Christ. What kind of faith? Is it saving faith? I don't know. But he does have faith that Jesus can save his daughter. And that's a good place to start. In verses 25 to 29, though, we see our story get interrupted. The story is interrupted. Um, Jesus gets distracted. Sorry, I'm being a bit cheeky with that. Jesus isn't getting distracted, right? but he is being called to something else. In fact, I find it a little bit funny that it seems like from the text, this woman does seem like an inconvenience, right? Jairus' family members or household members are coming and they're saying, oh, look, she's already dead. You guys wasted too much time. Why? Because this woman stopped Jesus? Even though there's a whole crowd of people pressing in on Christ. And yet it seems to be laid at this woman's feet a little bit in the text that she's delaying everything. In this crowd, there is this woman who has health issues. 
Um, she has had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. Um, and we're not talking about normal things here. We're talking about abnormal things. Things that in the Old Testament, because of fear of disease, would have excluded the woman from coming and worshiping at the synagogue for 12 years, as long as this little girl has been alive. And to be bleeding for 12 years, you can imagine that her health is draining. Eventually, she's going to become anemic, she's going to get a common cold, and she's going to die alone, separated from God's people out of the synagogue. It seems as though that at some point she had some finances. She was able to pay lots of doctors to come and to look at her, and yet it only made the problem worse. It didn't make it better. And she has an idea. If she can just touch Jesus, wait a second, no, 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 no. I don't even have to touch Jesus. If I can just touch the coat that he's wearing, I'll be healed. Now, don't misunderstand. So often, especially in our world today, there are people that are willing to heal you for a price. <laughs> Put your credit card number here, right? Jesus is not some sort of faith healer that's skimming off the top in order to make people well. And this isn't some sort of superstitious thing, and we're going to see how Jesus reinforces that. She genuinely has faith that if she can even be close to Jesus, that she will be healed. Jesus is not magical. Jesus is not a faith healer. He is powerful. And he has authority over sickness and death and hell. All things that this woman has already heard about. From all the other healings and the casting out of demons and the forgiving of sins that Jesus has done. So she reached out and she touched Jesus' overcoat and she was healed. And what does Mark say? Obviously, immediately she was healed. She, her bleeding stopped. And it meant that she wasn't ceremonially unclean anymore. It meant that she could go to the synagogue it meant that her pushing through that crowd and touching people, which she wasn't supposed to do, it's okay. Great. You know what? Now, I think, I think that she can just walk away. She's touched the overcoat. She's healed. No one has to know what happened. I'm just going to walk away, and I'm going to take my blessing, and everything's going to be great. We got our Jesus fix, and we're ready to move on down the road. Okay, look, we often hear people say things like this, right? They come, um, they're, they're in church, or rather, we, we meet a lot of people. We go to share the good news with people who say, you know, you know, I tried that church thing once, and, you know, I go every once in a while, I get my Jesus fix, and then I'm good, I'm encouraged, Right? And this, this woman could have been tempted to do that. She could have been tempted to do that because, look, she shouldn't have been pushing through that crowd with her sickness. And um, she was an outcast before. Why would anyone care about her now? 
yeah, I'm glad that there were so many nice people in the church that could come around me and pray for me during that season of life and help me out and encourage me. I'm so happy that I could enjoy the gifts that God gave to me. And um, now I'm going to move on from that. This is what we are tempted to believe even ourselves. She could have been tempted to take Jesus and his gifts for granted. But Jesus isn't quite going to let her do that. What does Jesus say? He says, who touched me? Why does he, doesn't he know? I mean, Jesus should know things like this. Well, we read something very strange there, that he knows that power went out of him. He knows that he healed someone. So he calls out, who, who touched me? And eventually the woman steps forward. Why did he have her do this? It says that she stepped forward with fear and trembling. Fear of Jesus? Trembling at Jesus? Perhaps? Look, 12 years she had been outcast. And potentially she's not anymore. Why would Jesus bring her up to the front and call attention to her? She doesn't want anyone to know how she felt, how she was outcast. She just needs to know that she's healed. And yet Jesus wants more than that. Why? Jesus' miracles, as we always said, always point towards his message. And the good news for this woman wasn't just that she was healed, right? It's that she's saved. Let's see this now. Um, I'll read again from verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And what did he say? It's like Jairus said about his little daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Daughter, you are loved. You are not an outcast. Daughter, you are now my daughter. You were brought into a family. There's no gifts that you can take advantage of because all the gifts are yours. In me, Jesus is saying. He sends that woman back out, not as an outcast, but he again assures her that he, she's not only healed, the bleeding is not only stopped, but she is healed for good. Why did he have her come up? I think that he had her come up to make that public confession of faith. He invited her up to say, God has done something for you today. Tell people about it. Because Jesus' mission, his works always point to his message. Always point to his message. She shouldn't just inwardly confess Jesus as healer, but she needed to do more than that. She needed to confess Jesus as her Savior. Wait a second. Forgot all about Jarius, did you? <laughs> did you forget about the daughter? Did Jesus? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It's too late. She's dead. The household comes. Says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. 
It wasn't really worth bothering him in the first place. But overhearing this, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Right? Don't fear. Keep believing. That's a more ac accurate, a more literal um, translation of what's going on here. Um, don't be afraid. Keep faith. Keep having faith. When Jairus came to Jesus, he believed that Jesus could help his daughter, and Jesus is assuring him now, keep faith. Don't lose it. Which seems like a pretty bold and ridiculous thing to say, if you ask me, right? Uh, the girl is dead. Why should he keep faith? And then he told his closest disciples uh, that were with him, um, he took his closest disciples that were with him. He took Jairus. They went to the household, and there were the professional mourners. These were people that are actually paid to come alongside of a family to encourage them. I don't know what this was like in the, in the Jewish world. In the Greek world, it was people wearing masks and people crying and hoping that the gods would accept this person that had just died and so on and so forth. Um, I don't know if they were there just for comfort for the family, but what we do know is that they were there to support the family. So when Jesus comes in and says, take me to the little girl, and they all start mocking him, Jesus is still wondering, why, why the commotion? She's not, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And what does he say? Little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And then here's another little interesting detail. Just as Jesus took this little girl's hand, which two, th two times now, the fact that this bleeding woman would touch Jesus made, would make him unclean. The fact that he would touch the hand of a little girl would make him unclean, unfit to go to the synagogue. And yet he does that. He acknowledges this outcast woman. He takes a hold of this little girl's hand. And he says, your sickness, your infirmities, just as we read about in Isaiah 53, are mine. They're mine, and I'm taking them away from you. They're gone. And Jesus, in an even more caring statement, says, give this girl something to eat. Peter, she's living now. She's not dead. Give her something to eat. In both of these cases, we saw a woman who had faith and yet was willing to inch right back out the back door. And then we saw a man who had faith and yet was rightfully tempted to lose that faith. And yet we see Jesus acting faithfully in the midst of our imperfect faith. Christian, for you and for me, that should be an encouragement. And I hope that that is a blessing to you. We looked at last week, and I'm looking forward to this week as well, that Jesus has authority over storms, spirits, disease, and death. And Jesus has authority in salvation. Last week I asked, where is your faith? But this week I say, do not fear. Only believe. Only keep that faith. 
as imperfect as it may be. You have been gifted faith. You have been gifted repentance. What did this woman do when she turned around and came back when Jesus called her? (laughs) Quite literally, she turned around from what she was going to sneak away and become, and she turned towards Christ. When Jairus was rightfully disappointed and without faith, what did Jesus call him to do? No, turn, come with me, follow me. They were given the gift of believing in Jesus even more. And that gift is for you and for me as well. Christian, approach Jesus in your fear and in your need. He is faithful to those with imperfect faith. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are our great high priest and you are the great physician. At one time, we were all outside of your salvation. We were distant from you and separated from you. But God, as we see in this story today presented by Mark, um, we are called to consider the perfectness of your person, the powerfulness of your person, the fact that you have power over sickness, sin, death, hell, storms, everything. And you have authority in salvation. In fact, Jesus, you are our salvation. We thank you for the perfectness of your sacrifice for us. Help us always to be growing to understand it more. Thank you for stepping in on our behalf when you brought us to faith and also every single day as we sin. When we are under trial and exhausted, when we are filled with concern, that breaks up our confidence in you, when kept kept up at night and filled with fear, when the disease and disorder of this world oppresses and holds down our souls, we ask that you would bless us with your steadfast devotion. We ask that you would give us peace beyond understanding. We ask that you save us, that you keep us, that you hold us fast that you lead and guard and supply and help us. We ask to see that your grace is sufficient in our every need and fear and that you would continually fill us back up with the faith that we need to rest only in who you are and rely only upon the work that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us 
for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.